This is a Federal News Network podcast. The State Department is bringing on board the fifth cohort of students for its Foreign Affairs Information Technology Fellowship Program, FATE. Students receive scholarships and internships in return for five-year commitments to the Foreign Service. The fellowship supplies in-demand tech talent for the department with a focus on diversifying the Foreign Service ranks. For more, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with the program manager, Patricia Berner, and with two of the fellows, Taylor Rainey and Carissa Wynn. We are selecting more fellows per year. We've gone from five to 15, but the basic goals of the program are the same. The program started at the Bureau of Global Talent Management and the Bureau of Information Resource Management and a grantee, which is currently the Washington Center. We work together to recruit outstanding undergraduate and graduate students who can respond to the complex challenges of modern diplomacy and international relations, particularly in the vital realm of information technology. So the fellows go through quite a competitive process to be selected. Over the course of the two-year fellowship, the fellows receive up to $37,500 per academic year for tuition, room and board, other educational expenses, and that's to help support them in completing either the last two years of their undergraduate IT degree or two years of a graduate degree program. And these programs are obviously relevant to information technology. Internships are an integral part of the program. We want the fellows to get some hands-on experience as an IT professional with the Department of State. After they complete the first year of the fellowship, the fellows complete an internship here in Washington, D.C. And then the second summer, they go overseas and they complete an internship at a U.S. embassy or consulate. And for both of those internships, they receive housing, travel, they get stipend support. And then additionally, during the two years of the program, we have professional development seminars. They have a mentor during their whole two years that is an information management specialist. Um, They might be here on a domestic assignment or the mentor also might still be overseas. So when they complete the program and they've met all the Foreign Service entry requirements, they are employed at the Department of State as Foreign Service Information Management Specialists. So a component of this fellowship is, of course, trying to make the IT workforce of the State Department and the Foreign Service look a little bit more like the demographics of the U.S. I'll turn it over to Krissa and then Taylor if you want to pick this up. What does it mean for you to bring your perspective to this work at the department? I started working in IT first tangentially when I was an undergrad and then a full-time while I was doing my first graduate degree. So I would definitely say being a woman in IT, sometimes You go into situations and feel that you might have a different management style than what people are used to. You might have a different speaking style, communication style. So it's not so much about being homogenous and trying to mirror what others are doing, but creating a style or a management style, leadership style that works for you. So I think it's important that women know in the IT field that they can be themselves. They don't need to mirror their male colleagues in order to succeed, in order to develop professionally. And I think that's very important to me. And that's something that mentors that I've had, both in my academic and my professional career, have stressed to me over and over again. Love to hear uh, your experience, Taylor. Well, first I'll say it means a lot to me just when I met all the other fellows to see what everybody looked like and getting excited that we are going to be part of the image of what the State Department looks like and what we're made up of. Secondly, I was the first person from Howard University to win this fellowship, and Howard University is an HBCU, and now sharing that information with other HBCUs and what that means to the bringing more of those applicants to the program, and 
just getting people excited about where you can take your IT degree. That STEM is not all you're going to be working in a lab or you're going to be just working on a computer just in one place. Like you can move, you can travel, you can get political with it. You can bring, like Krista said, your authenticity to it. What is important to you is can also be important in STEM. You can make STEM care about the community and global change and law and everything you want. And I think that's the great thing about fate. That's what I'm so excited to do in these next two years. Let's unpack in a little bit more detail this idea of mentorship and just how valuable that is across the board. Taylor, you're the first student from Howard University to be selected for the fellowship. How do you see your experience with the program having potentially a ripple effect in your peers, being aware of this program and seeking out applying for it? When my school told me that I was the first person to get the fake fellowship, I did not know that when I was applying. And then they were like, okay, we're going to put out this newsletter. We have to tell everybody. And I got so nervous because truth be told, I'm a really shy person. And I was like, oh my God, all these people are going to know. And I'm not sure. But when they put it out there, so many people reached out to me and said, oh my gosh, I just remember you were in my political science class. Like, this is inspiring me. I really want to try to get, I've always wanted to get into tech and didn't think I could because of my degree. I think that's something this fellowship has been teaching me so far. It's barely begun, but just thinking about how much me even just being here is inspiring other people to follow and do something with whatever degree they have, like I'm a political science major with a Spanish minor. And I still, because of mentorship, was able to get into the intelligence community. And from there, they trained me up. I went to so many virtual conferences and networking with people. And I would not be where I am today if my mentors did not care for me. Mentors who look like you is so, so important as well. Like women mentors, um, black mentors, women, women of color mentors, you, you just need them. And Carissa, I'll throw the same question over to you. What does mentorship mean to you? And how do you see mentorship having a role in this fellowship? No, that's a great question, Jory. And I'm happy because as soon as you brought up the concept of mentorship, I think mentorship is incredibly important, both providing mentorship and receiving it. I feel like mentorship creates this direct pipeline for historical knowledge and advice on development, on on how to succeed, on people's experiences that preserves itself over time, right? So I have a mentor both at state and at the firm that I'm in right now. And both of them, both women have been integral to the professional development and choices that I've made over the last four years. And I definitely wouldn't be where I am today without their help. So To answer your question, I hope to take that industry knowledge, that historical knowledge and the advice that's passed on to me, marry it with my experiences and eventually help someone coming out of school or just entering the workforce uh, to succeed in the same way uh, that I've been lucky enough to have succeeded. Carissa Wynn, one of the State Department's new student fellows, speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. You also heard from fellow Taylor Rainey and with Patricia Berner, the program's manager at the State Department. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas 
and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions. Uh, on those, on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there've been so many moments saying, I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a rural school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that's at the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the, the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance 
uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most. And that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values. But the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream, which we often define and think of his big, I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the the idea that leaders have vision, uh, despite the challenges, is seeing a forest despite the trees, is seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that that attribute, I think, is one that that I embody. I mean, I, I I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic! And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give? to feds looking to develop leadership skills. And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce. And I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day as many days as I could just to sit down and talk with employees and I grew from that and 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 there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet 
and said, you know, I told the secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular common everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are hard workers. That's where the work is done. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me. If there was some advice and counsel I could give is to continue to do your work, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.